0: Governor Chris Sinun, who joins us live. Good morning, New Hampshire, on the Pulse of an H. Governor. Good morning, Jack. How are you? Good. Pretty special day for you as a dad, huh?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, without a doubt. You know, we are uh, traditionally have not been a military family. He's really the first uh, to kind of just say, look, I'm going to enlist. I mean, it was, it was all his call. He could have gone to college and had some awesome options there, but he just wanted to serve. And so... He enlisted, and if I remember the conversation, he wanted. Uh, he said, "Who's the toughest?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, I said I love them all. All the branches are terrific, but you know, I, I think it, it, it. Without a doubt, the Marines are, are pretty tough." And he said, "That's where I'm going." So we He'll graduate on Friday, and then he has a couple a couple weeks to leave uh, that he gets to come home with us, which is pretty exciting. And then um, he's off for you know more training and shipping off to to whatever wherever else they tell him to go next.
0: And in this world, we don't know. Speaking of that, let's go to you were just in Texas, down with Governor Abbott of Texas, looking at the southern border. One of your comments I want you to elaborate was it's really a 50-state problem. Let's not get into the politics of the current border bill. But let's talk about the border. How bad is it, Governor? How real is this problem? We talk about the fentanyl overdose, people coming across. I had stats from uh, Monday and yesterday show from ICE on how many illegal migrants who were criminals with criminal records they arrested last year in America. This is pretty serious stuff.
1: It really is, and and the problem is so bad that it it almost needs very little explanation to the general public. Um, Everyone knows, right? It's really out there. Families are feeling it, not because the politicians are telling them, because they're seeing the fentanyl, they're seeing the access to this stuff. You know, they see the the human trafficking, the sex trafficking that's going on. You know, not just tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, but now millions of illegals just swarming over the border all because of bad policy so um they they see it they feel it uh uh, you're seeing it in the cities right if you go into the to the cities whether you're republican or democrat you can see what's happening with the housing crisis and the homelessness crisis um the burden on on a lot of these these systems so um when we polled folks coming out of the first nation primary what's the number one issue um that you're you're voting on it's it's the border it's the border i mean that's never happened before so it's serious. It is a 50 state uh, issue. Um, you know, the main reason, uh, there's a couple reasons to go down there. First, Governor Abbott, boy, he and his team are incredibly impressive. They have been living mm-hmm. and breathing this for years. Um, they know exactly what's going on, they ex- know exactly what you have to do to push back on it. And by them simply just uh, following the, the federal laws, right? They're just kind of walking hand-stepping in the federal laws that are right now not being followed. Um, they've been able to have real results. at Eagle Pass, thousands a day have come down to, I think, the average three people a day or something illegally crossing over there. So they've, they can, they've shown that you can have huge results. This idea that Biden, I have no ability to do any. Nobody buys that. Nobody buys that at all. So uh, Americans are, are seeing it. They're feeling it. Um, right. You know, we're doing our small part on the northern border. And, and you know, hats off to Senators uh, Hassan and Shaheen. They came out and said, yeah, we need more security, even at the northern border. But this is a 50-state issue. we trying to show some solidarity with, uh, with Governor Abbott uh, so, so Biden knows it isn't just a Biden versus Abbott, Biden versus Texas issue. It is all 50 states that they're really hurting with their policies.
0: Governor Chris in a new life, but every time Governor Abbott has done something in the last couple of years, whether it's at the Rio Grande or at Eagle Pass, the Biden administration and the Department of Justice threaten to sue him or sue him to stop, and yet the Biden administration now say they want to get tougher on the border going into an election year with this border bill. Can you break down a little bit of hypocrisy there?
1: Well, it's complete hypocrisy. It's just It's, it's horrible policy, right? So they basically had their policy was completely driven on a political agenda, not on best results. And for the first couple of years, they kind of got away with it until the result, you know, the, the horses got out of the barn, so to say, and the results got so bad, they don't know what to do. So instead of thinking, gee, let's pivot, let's have a stronger policy, they go, oh, boy, yeah, uh, it's Congress's fault. It's just, it's just pointing fingers. So it's not just, it's beyond a dereliction of duty. It's complete incompetence, and it's embarrassing. when, Again, you, when you're called to something and you didn't get a, a, a result, you know, say, look, we're going to shift. We're going to pivot. We're going to do this. We're going to get some, we're going to take action. That's not even what they're doing. They're just kind of doing the, the finger pointing thing. This is why Joe Biden can now lose to pretty much any Republican that, that's out there. I mean, I didn't think that was possible. A lot of us didn't think that was going to be right. possible just a couple years ago. But he, he could and he likely will be strictly because of this issue. You saw what happened in New York, right? The illegals that, yep, yep. you know, beat that cop. I mean, and then, you know, gave the finger to the press and said, by the way, you know where we're going after we we not even held with $1 a bail? We're going to California because that's a sanctuary state, and we're going to be protected there. Good luck finding it. Yep. So if you have folks just kind of thwarting the system, It's everyone understands it. And um, and Biden's, you know, I mean, God bless him. He's an older guy. He can barely get off the stage without somebody's holding his hand never mind, you know, get into the weeds on what can be complex uh, border policy.
0: This border bill, uh, $118 billion, includes some aid to Ukraine and Israel. Uh, Senator Shaheen indicated support for it. The congressional delegation from New Hampshire federally did. Do you think it's a good bill? Should it pass or not? It looks like it's not going to, but do you think it's a good bill or not? Would you vote for it or not? It's
1: not a good bill. It has some good provisions in there, but it's not a good bill. Uh, So my hope is this, like we do in New Hampshire, right? If a bill comes out of one, like the Senate or the House, and you don't like it, the other body has the opportunity to amend it. And fix it. And that's exactly what I'm hoping the Republicans in the House do. They shouldn't just ignore it, they should try to an amendment, try to fix it. I mean there's a provision we just saw the provisions in the details like two days ago. I saw something in there that said, by the way, Texas can no longer sue the federal government in in the the Fifth Circuit, you know, down in the the Texas federal courts. You have to do it back in Washington. So to have a piece of federal legislation telling states, you know, picking and choosing the courts of which the states can and can't sue you know, little things like that actually really, really matter. And what it says is, we're taking all your your policy um, uh, flexibility out of the state's hands, right? right. And and so obviously, there's it's a lot of really bad stuff in there. Um, it, it, I, I like the funding. I like the fact that that you know theoretically they can they can allow some provisions to to stop some people coming over the border, but it's got to be fixed. There's no doubt about that.
0: Governor Kristen before we let you go, uh, you know you were all in on Nikki Haley. in New Hampshire worked hard, and uh, certainly she climbed. It became made it a two-person race in New Hampshire. Her donors and supporters wanted to hang in there. Uh, D- Donald Trump looks like he's tough to beat in the Republican primary nomination process. In terms of, you know, the neck, the caucuses in Nevada, and then the big, the big, in a few weeks is South Carolina, where Nikki Haley is from. Nikki Haley had said she doesn't need to win there; she needs a good showing to continue. Um, and do better than New Hampshire, uh, but some polls suggest she may not even do better than New Hampshire in terms of the margin for Trump's victory. If she doesn't do well in her home state, do you think she should hang in this thing till Super Tuesday or not?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I look, I think I will say this. I believe the campaign has the right strategy. They're not just looking at South Carolina. South Carolina, Michigan, the 16 Super Tuesday states, they're raising money to be viable in all 18 of those states. And that's, that's the right approach, because they kind of come back to back to back. Um, you know, we've had this kind of big gap between New Hampshire and South Carolina. So I think she's going to obviously do very well in her home state. But either way, I, I, I believe she can, should, and, and will stay um, to, uh, through Super Tuesday. And that's really where you get to the point where you have to start. That's where you have to start having some wins. So, no, look, beating an incumbent president is, is tough, to be sure. But he is beatable. It's the right thing for the party. And if anything we're seeing in D.C., It's you've got to get stuff done. You have to have a leadership that knows how to get stuff done. We never got health care reform done. We never got the fiscal discipline that we thought we were going to get. We never actually built the wall like we thought we were going to. Um, so there's just too many things there that former President Trump, all okay, on policy, just didn't get done. So, right. so, you know, what's the point of backing somebody? Nikki has a lot of those same policies, those, those strong conservative credentials, but has a record and the ability to work to, to make sure that at the end of the day we're securing the border, we're managing our debt. You know, we're bringing health care from. We're doing all these things. We're becoming energy independent again. Um, so that's that's why, I, I again, I, I think every day that she's out there, she gets stronger and stronger. And I feel very optimistic about these 18 states coming up.
0: Governor Chris, good luck with the uh, ceremony at Paris Island at the uh, at the United States Marines down in South Carolina for your son and other Marines that he'll be uh, serving with. Thank you. Good morning, New Hampshire. The Pulse of an H.
1: Great. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate it.
2: Good morning, New Hampshire. Powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back
3: to Jack Heath on the pulse of New Hampshire.
2: All right, good. And, uh,
0: enjoyed the interview with Governor Sinuno, talking about the border and some of the politics in Washington, including the GOP race. Of course, he's a big supporter of Nikki Haley, who will come back to that with Brad Card on what happened in Nevada's primary, the caucuses next, and then South Carolina. Our own White House correspondent, John Decker, speaking of President, former President Trump, he says he'll appeal that ruling that he cannot claim a presidential immunity related to attempts to the, uh, the allegations going back to the 2020 election results. John, good morning.
4: Hey, good morning to you, Jack. That's right. He says that he will appeal. Uh, but you know I'm a lawyer, Jack. I don't think the Supreme Court is actually even going to take up this matter. Uh, the appeal must be filed by the former president's lawyers by February the 12th, so just a few days from now. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, will likely let stand the D.C. Circuit court of appeals opinion that was unanimous yesterday and that would mean that judge tanya chuckin who's presiding over that election interference case here in washington could then schedule that trial to begin i think that will likely begin before the republican national convention in mid-july all
0: right john decker also an attorney our own white house correspondent thank you john make it a good wednesday
4: thank you jack all right, Brad
0: Card, one of our political analysts and all-stars, Carden Associates, on this Wednesday morning. Brad, good morning. Hey, Jack. Well, if you – it's kind of an interesting headline. Uh, Nikki Haley uh, loses to kind of all of the above or other candidates, Nevada's primary. The caucus, Trump, is slated to win, and then it's on to South Carolina. We just had Governor Sununu on. I asked him if Nikki Haley doesn't have a stronger showing than New Hampshire and South Carolina. Should she pull out of this thing? He said no thinks the campaign has the right strategy to challenge Trump in states like Michigan. Talk about the significance of Nevada and going into South Carolina and where this Republican primary race is, Brad.
2: Yeah. So not a big surprise there with, uh, with, uh, Nevada. Nikki Haley wasn't really playing there and it's, that's not a big surprise, but I, I think that she has to show well in South Carolina, certainly. Uh, but that said, she, she really does have a little bit of giddy up in her step. She's got a lot of money coming in. So donors are actually starting to rally behind her. And and, and, and that's really what she needs. She needs money so she can go ahead to Super Tuesday and, and be competitive. So we'll see how competitive she is. Also, Donald Trump is starting to have some legal problems, right? these legal His legal issues are actually starting to fall against him. Uh, you see the, the, the ruling... Uh, against him on the immunity issue which i think every single one of us uh believed would, would be the case and 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 we're hopeful of the case because i don't think we have we want anybody to have absolute immunity uh including our president from illegal actions but so i think that these things are, are starting to mount so we could see trials those are things that could actually change the electorate right that could i think that could change public perception of donald trump depending on what comes out in these trials but right now, look at Donald Trump does have a firm grip on the Republican Party. Um, it, it, it baffles my mind, but it, it it's the reality. And we see it at play right now in Washington, D.C., with this border bill uh, going down. Donald Trump wants the issue. He doesn't want to fix the border right now. He wants the issue for for, for the election. He's as much said that. And you have a bill that's imperfect in the Senate. Um but you're never going to get a perfect bill. By the way, you're not. You're not going to get perfection. No, no. In any and, and this bill, but but
0: this bill, and I asked Governor Suen. Let's talk about the border bill, because Senator was just back from Texas.
2: Right, but there's the, a process, Jack. There's, there's no there's no a no process that no No, I understand. Could follow.
0: I understand, and he and he said they should pull a good out of it, and they can do amendments and things like that, but what I point is uh the national media coverage on this bill, of course, you know you had the impeachment um, vote last night uh on on Majorcus, that didn't go well, so you have dysfunction continuing among Republicans, it seems in the House. But this border bill, it's interesting, Um, you know, no question Republicans will probably be blamed by leading Democrats for not passing this bill. This bill, in my opinion, wouldn't do much to fix the border security issue because it is such a crisis. The Biden administration, the media won't report on this for three years. What have they done for three years? What have they done? First
2: of all, Jack, you're a thousand percent right on on Biden. Right. This has been an abject failure by the Biden administration. Uh, The southwest border is the number one political issue because of his lack of leadership. He has just completely failed on the southwest border, and there's no getting around that. He has been a complete disaster on the southwest border, and there are many things he could do to fix it, but he's not going to do it. So I think Congress, I think that Senator Langford, I give him credit. Um, border is a tough issue, so he took the leadership on and to try to find a bill that could get some consensus you got to understand Republicans don't have the Senate and they don't have the White House. So you're not going to get a Republican perfect bill, right, if you're going to get a bill that's going to pass. But I think that there were some really good things in that bill that make considerable changes along the southwest border and actually help uh, security on the southwest border. But because of politics right now, we have a speaker lined up thousand percent behind donald trump and donald trump is pulling strings and when donald trump started talking about the fact that he didn't want this bill and he wanted this issue in, uh for the election that's what republicans are giving him so you have a lot of infighting behind the scenes and then you come out, and you have these guys come out and say, the bill should be dead on arrival." What ought to happen is they ought to take the bill off and they ought to amend it, right. and they ought to see if they can find have a working product that can actually garner two hundred and eighteen votes in the house uh, that that would actually have some meaningful changes to help protect the southwest border to help protect our nation and, and you know and you know but that's Brad, not, I know. that's not happening right now jack, and if and it I, wasn't for right. Al Green last night. Um, Secretary Mayorkas would be impeached, right? right? Al Green came in off of out of a hospital and wheeled in right. on a, in a on a wheelchair and, and and broke a tie, and so that Republicans lost the Mayorkas impeachment vote. But I think we do have to take a look. at just the way we want to govern. I mean, we're going yeah. after no, it, cabinet it seems, officials it on seems policy to be,
0: issues. It does seem to be dysfunction. I mean, and even the border bill, Brad, hundred eighteen billion. A lot of that has to do with aid to Ukraine and Israel, uh, which really has nothing to do with the southern border. You know, in terms of that. So, it's, yeah, but
2: why was that put in there, Jack? Republicans demanded that. The Speaker demanded it. He demanded no, I'm, I'm border. I'm just saying. Border. I'm just
0: saying that most people say, "Why can't they just pass
2: a simple bill?" Well, I'm with you, Jack, and that's what yeah. they're going to do now. But but you think about the reason why they didn't pass that earlier is because the Speaker demanded border bill. Yeah. He demanded a border bill to accompany the the the, the aid, and so it's not a perfect bill. And it needs work, and I agree with that. And it, and, and and sometimes right. legislating is messy. That's why they call it mace, making sausage. But at the end of the day, they have to work. And right now, this Congress is not functioning. It is—it's a disaster. You have an Israeli bill fail that the Republicans yeah. pushed that they knew was going to fail, and then you have a, an impeachment of a cabinet official was taking his lead from the president elections have consequences unfortunately and this is part of the consequence of electing joe biden is that you get lousy border provision uh, and the homeland security secretary is a disaster because the president is a disaster on the issue
0: we're at the bottom of the hour next time you're on i want to talk to you this week a little bit about third party possible candidates even a few percentage points here and there and what they could mean if it is biden and trump again and i'm talking of course uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., maybe Mansion Christie's flirting with it, and of course you have others, so we'll see. But Brad, we've got to watch you run. Thank you very much.
2: All right, take care. Have a great day.
0: Bob Jackman, LaValle Middleton Building Supply, joining us, regular partner and sponsor out there, talking about one of his uh, store all-stars. It goes out of her way, I think her name is Belinda, to service customers on the uh, painting side. Of course, this time of year, a lot of indoor stuff happening. Good morning, Bob.
3: Well, good morning to you, too, and you're absolutely right. Uh, You know, every so often you walk into somebody and you start a conversation. Yeah, I'm making a point of asking a question that I don't know the answer to at least a couple times a day because I like to learn things. Well, I kind of made the mistake of asking her what's new. (laughs) Uh, This is our Bristol location. She is our paint guru there, and she happened to be in company with our company-wide paint guru, Sean. And I said, uh, "What's new?" And she takes me right to a Pittsburgh paint, ceiling paint primer for seventeen ninety nine a gallon. It's just an unbeatable price and an unbeatable product. Then she says she can color match any paint manufacturers' colors. And then she takes me to her laboratory, <sighs> and I'm like, "What?" The? And we go back there and we look, and she has uh, pieces of molding and boards that have samples of colors. She's practicing custom-matching interior stains. Wow. And I'm just shaking my head saying, wow, thinking about that newfound area, they've got a lot of older homes, a lot of paint, a lot of stain that's been used, that's aged for years and years, and then now they need to do some repair in that area. She's got it figured out.
0: She also it sounds just, like she's. It's like it's not only being an expert in your your work, but it sounds like she's passionate about it.
3: Well, not only is she passionate about it, she has a positive attitude. She knows what the heck she's talking about. Yep, she's yep. friendly, and you find yourself walking away, going, "All right, what do I have to paint at home?"
0: Yeah, and you know, and you know, Bob, you and I have talked about this because you like to work, and your whole story of Laval and Middleton Building Supply, the original family, the whole story, your stores, your locations, your number of employees. But and I think work is virtuous. I think there's virtue in in a in, in a in a in a job where you like your team, you like the atmosphere, and I bet you, uh, Belinda's not on with us, but. Not only is she an expert on paint and advising good products like this Pittsburgh paint uh, that she's talking about the stain or the uh, you just told us for seventeen or eighteen bucks a gallon, um, it sounds like she likes going to work and enjoys her experience working for the the business.
3: Well, and she really enjoys helping people, and I think yeah. that's the key. yeah if you enjoy helping people, you try to find a way to make them successful, and this young lady does it, and when we open that store. She wanted to make the paint department a store within a store. And that's kind of an industry buzzword. And she did that. There yeah. was an area at the back of the store that wasn't being used. So we got it moved around. They put the paint department back there. And you enter her own little arena when you go through those uh, that portal there right at the rear of the store. And she welcomes people. If you don't see her right away, she's in her laboratory right at the back corner. But uh, go go see her. and If you want to ask a question, you can reach her at 603-744-5446. And always by email at brawley, R-A-W-L-E-Y, at lavalleys.com.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it would be worth even traveling a little extra to go see her in, in your location there. Hey, Bob, how long offhand do you know? How long has she been with the team?
3: Uh, Well, she's been with the Bristol store since we took it over. But before that, she was in our Meriden store for years. So
0: now I
3: do want to say that at the present time, you know us, we're always looking for good people. We do have kitchen designer openings. And and kitchen kind of narrows down the field. But it's a designer of all interior uh, home, cabinetry needs, you know, media rooms, offices, all kinds of things. But we have openings right now in our Newport store and our Ludlow, Vermont store.
0: They're yeah, good stuff. And, you know, I, I'm still, I want to come back, I want to do a segment on what you're doing out in Claremont and Newport as well on the modular home side. I think that's an awesome story.
3: It is an awesome story. And that the modular group has just come up with a, a product called the solo. And we talked about that. That's a single box. So it's like a 16 by 40 home. It's like a giant tiny home. And what it does is it gives you a big enough footprint so that you have a full bedroom and then a bathroom and then common living areas. Um, It just expounds on the tiny home idea and it keeps it simple.
0: Good stuff. Well, give our best to Belinda. If I have any painting projects, I know where I'm headed, Robert. Sounds like a plan. All right, Bob Jackman, LaValle LaValle, Milton Building Support. With those openings you have, best way to contact, best way to look into the, uh, you know, the employment or open job size is how, Bob?
3: Uh, Go right online, and you can print out an application. But uh, because of my hair color, my firm belief is even though you can file that application online, Go to the store that you're thinking of, the location, yeah. and talk to somebody and hand them that application.
0: In person. All right. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Great advice. Say ahead of Belinda. Thank you, we will. Paul Steinhauser reports nationally for Fox News. Steiny joining us. Good morning, Hampshire, the pulse of an H. Speaking of Nevada, and then of course next South Carolina. Good morning, Paul.
4: Hey, good morning from Las Vegas. Jack and uh, yeah, I guess you let's let's break it up real quick start with the democrats president biden he hit the jackpot here in vegas last night no doubt about that ended up winning uh what was about 95 percent of the vote or 90 percent of the vote which was another huge win following that huge win he had in south carolina on saturday and he had that pretty impressive right in victory here in back home in new hampshire so three straight wins, three crushing wins for, for the president. I think there's no drama there. He's going to win the nomination, and he's likely going to face off against Donald Trump. But let's talk about what happened here on the Republican side, Jack. It was confusing, right? Because yesterday was the primary. Tomorrow is the caucus. Donald Trump's name was not on the primary ballot. Nikki Haley's name was. Right? Voters, and it was only Republican voters who could vote in the Republican primary, unlike yeah. New Hampshire or South Carolina, only Republicans, Jack. But But they couldn't write in Trump's name, but they could vote for another option. None of these candidates. And guess what? When the votes were counted, none of these candidates beat out Nikki Haley. So somewhat of an embarrassing defeat for Haley. So her team, you know, keeps saying, listen, she was never here. She didn't campaign here. They didn't run any ads. This was not on their radar, they said. Still, the Trump campaign definitely, you know, jabbing at the Haley campaign today because of that. And Trump on Thursday still win the caucus hands down and win the twenty-six delegates.
0: And then uh, on, on South Carolina, I asked Governor Sununu, who joined us live this morning. Despite how Haley May do in South Carolina, Sununu's urging her to hang in there to other states downstream like Michigan. Paul, I have to ask you, what is Las Vegas? What is Vegas like with this political stuff, the build up to the big football game this weekend? It must be uh, – is it just crazy there?
4: There's a lot going on, and to add to all that, it's been raining, man. Okay, heavy rain yesterday. You know, you don't, I don't see that so much in Vegas. In the winter, you get some. So it was cold and rainy here in Las Vegas yesterday, probably not much better than what it was in New Hampshire. So, yeah, you know, that's what's going on out here in Vegas, Jack.
0: Well, you're a good sport to check in live uh, out there. Are you hitting any casinos? You know, you don't seem like a casino type. No offense.
4: <laughs> I appreciate it. I think I've been working too hard, man. Fox News has me working too hard to play. All right.
0: Uh, thank you. Uh, Mike Dennehy is going to weigh in talking some of the primary politics also coming up in this hour in a little bit. Um, former Ambassador Francis Rooney joining us with what's going on in the Middle East. He's got some interesting thoughts. Former Ambassador Francis Rooney coming up 1035 live where? Good morning, New Hampshire. The Pulse on H. Michael Dennehy, Dennehy Belay group on with us yesterday talking about Nevada, maybe the optics. Sometimes perception creates a reality, and uh, and then you, and then you're right into South Carolina after I imagine a big win for Trump in the caucus process uh, in Nevada. Take it away, Michael.
5: Yeah, well, I think I heard I think I heard the slot machines in the background. Steinie's just sitting right in front of those slot machines. I can see it right now. The um, uh, good morning, Jack. Yeah, I think it's a well, it's a big perception problem for Nikki Haley. She was alone on the ballot, the primary ballot and uh there was a choice for nikki haley or none of the candidates and none of the candidates beat nikki haley and this is what we've been saying now for for a few weeks that nikki haley is having a problem among republican primary voters uh she hasn't seemed to figure out how to uh, how to get these republican primary voters to her side over donald trump and um Uh, That's going to – you've seen it in the recent polling in South Carolina. Mm
3: -hmm. I
5: I don't know what her answer is uh, to try and figure out a path to win a single primary. Uh, That's her challenge. And and, uh, apparently her funders don't care right now. But at some point – really, I think at this point we're at now, it's starting to impact her image. And uh, she needs to figure out going forward, is she going to be John Kasich? Or is is she going to want a future in the Republican Party? I think that's really what it comes down
0: to. Yeah, and it seems that the longer she stays in and punches at Trump, it's not helping her in her home state of South Carolina. I asked Governor Sinan, who was on earlier with us live, you know, he's a big uh, Nikki Haley supporter. Does she have the right strategy? Should she stay in beyond her home state in a few weeks if she doesn't do well? And he said yes. Now, of course, he's an optimist. He, yeah. He's a good uh, cheerleader in terms of someone he believes in. But there's going to be a decision. I mean, I would think Nikki Haley has to get on, get closer to South Carolina in a week or so. And if those polls are still 60-30 or whatever, Michael, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you want to go through that? I, I don't know. I mean, it's your home states. How do you spin that?
5: I don't know how you spin it. Uh, frankly, I don't know how you spin the Nevada issue where she was the lone candidate on the ballot and she lost. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I agree, Jack I really do think it's not about the campaign going forward for her Any longer in the next couple of weeks before the primary It's all about what kind of future she wants She's, uh, right. I think we've even talked about this Does she want a real future in the Republican Party as a leader? Or or does she want to just continue to, uh, to attack uh, Donald Trump And be a spoiler, if you will uh, straight through to the convention. And, well, I think um,
0: you just hit the nail on the head. I think you just hit the nail on the head because, again, DeSantis had to look for the future when he dropped out a couple of days before New Hampshire. Chris Christie's a little more advanced in this game, more defined. DeSantis might have another shot another day. He's very young, very young. As you know, yeah. DeSantis isn't even 45, J-Dog, not even 45 years old. Nikki Haley's on the younger side. And, you know, if – let me try this one michael let me let me give you if we were in the car or the room and you've managed presidential campaigns a couple of them and won them in primaries michael I would say if Nicky hill is sitting across the room just looking at you know future perceptions you know political personal stock yeah um, you know if you if you bow out before your own primary just say that you know it's inevitable you're just gonna you know focus on the future whether or not you endorse donald trump Well, then the last thing people are going to remember is that you made it a two-person race out of a crowded field. You were able to beat off Ron DeSantis. You were able to get Chris Christie out, Vivek Ramaswamy. You were you took a crowded race. Mike Pence, former vice president, you made it a two-person race. You did pretty darn well, by the way. You know, you're pretty good on the debate stage. Never embarrassed. You know, did pretty well. So the overall perception a couple years from now might be pretty positive. However, if you go through your own home state. That's like coming back to your home stadium in the NFL. You've you got the advantage. you got 70,000 people that should be cheering for you, and you get, you get creamed. Do people remember that one?
5: Yeah, I, I think they do, Jack. I think that's a, a tremendous point. And, 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 you know, we never heard for sure why Chris Sununu decided not to run for president, but I do believe it's because it was the first in the nation primary, and he was not even close to first place.
3: Right. And,
5: and you can't. You just have to win your home state, regardless of how important it is in the right. process. Yeah. You have to do it. And, yep. and you're, that's such a great point, Jack. I, I think um, I think Nikki Haley's struggling with all that right now. She has accomplished so much, and that isn't talked about enough, possibly. But she has. So do you really? Do you go out a winner or a loser? Well, and that's what I think has to be.
0: Done. And the other thing is, after this go-around, regardless of what happens, Trump yes. Biden. Here we yes. go. Trump wins right. or he doesn't, um, the party in the country moves on from Donald Trump at some point. I mean, it's inevitable. Yeah. That's what history yeah. is. So at some point, do you want to be part of that or not? All right, Michael, good stuff on this uh, Wednesday. Thank you, Michael Denny. Denny Always a pleasure. We're,
5: Thanks, Jack. All right,
0: Henry Al, NBC News Radio National Correspondent, a potential record audience. So I guess, you know, you're, you're going to be seen, but take it away on the cost.
6: Yes, yeah, $7 million for 30 seconds. That is the cost of an ad spot during the Super Bowl this year. But it's real simple why the companies spend this. There is, very frankly, no opportunity guaranteed to reach more people than the Super Bowl, particularly in today's fragmented media landscape. There are so many different tentacles. You can put your ad dollars. But in terms of a throwback for reaching everyone all at once, there is nothing that can begin to compete with the Super Bowl. It had more than 115 million people watch it last year. Similar numbers expected to tune in this year. And if you want to create brand recognition there's no better place to
0: do it it's like basically one out of every three american watching it feels like the numbers will be higher this year given the hype given the matchup chiefs mahomes but obviously a certain pop star up in the booth Um, and then of course the niners a big story but Aaron, you know it's amazing to me and j-dog who has the game this year what who's doing the game cbs okay cbs so who's that is that romo who is that Uh,
6: It's Paramount owns it. Sorry, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, but I mean, I'm just wondering who's going to be doing the game. But, you know, Aaron, it seems to me that, you know, you can predict some of the people that will go all in. I imagine Bud Light still trying to recapture some brand position after that debacle. I imagine some of the big automobile, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, an Amazon ad of the uh, older gals, you know, sliding down the hill. Uh, But uh, it's always the... um, the offshoots that people that crack me up you know there might be a candy attitude an m&m you know i don't know but all of a sudden it's like this what was that you know what i mean it's those obscure ones and they're paying seven million bucks uh, some startup or some offshoot those or what ads will people remember you know what ones will be talked about because you can see these things online you see them ahead of time will there be an ad that sort of becomes a talking point after the big game will people i i think the ones that are good are the funny ones too
6: I agree with you completely, and it's funny that you brought up Bud Light because they are, in fact, expected to do a spot where they're supposed to poke fun at themselves. So if they can thread that needle based on their Dylan Mulvaney fallout, that'll be interesting to watch. But also, it's funny that you bring that up because the marketing strategy for these commercials has really changed over the years. The Super Bowl ads used to be under lock and key until the day of the game. No one saw any of it, and now the companies are employing this strategy where they often start leaking teasers or talking about it or images or anything. It, it, in mid-January, you get about six weeks of discussion and buzz where before you get six hours post-game. So this is a, a definitely a, a new strategy, and it seems to be working.
0: Yeah, the other thing is these ads are tight. I mean, J-Dog and I know when you do a 28, 30-second spot for a sponsor or something, how tight that is. These are basically mini-movies. These are like Hollywood multi-million dollar mini 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 movies like a little trailer not even a three-minute trailer you're talking 30 seconds there's a lot to get in there for seven million bucks
6: i agree i mean listen it it's, we know how hard it is in radio how do you fit 30 seconds and in, into anything but the creative genius that goes into the it's like how touching what's your economy of words how touching can you make something how funny how profound how memorable Let's see if the creative minds can really do it this year. They, they've, they've given us some, some absolute gems in the yeah. past.
0: And it seems to me that, I don't know about you, J-Dog, and Aaron Real, i News radio national correspondent. It's the first quarter or two, uh, the, the first eight to ten minutes or bef- right before the game that the, the big ones tend to go. It just seems to me, maybe it's because the second half, people aren't paying as much attention unless the game's really tight, which this year I think it could be.
6: Yeah. Uh, yes, very, very tight. And quest we forget. Taylor Swift brings all the young ladies, and there is no industry outside of the health and beauty industry that is more excited about Kansas City being in the Super Bowl. <laughs> there is absolutely going to be a lot of targeted yeah. young women in terms of marketing dollars.
0: All right, Aaron Riel. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks. Former ambassador to the Holy See, and we'll talk about that mission in the Catholic Church, but uh, also a former representative in Florida. I think it was the 19th Congressional District and he is um, Francis Rooney, former ambassador and uh, member of Congress from Florida's 19th Congressional District and, of course, uh, ambassador from, I think, up until 2008. Ambassador, thanks for being with us.
7: Thanks for having me on.
0: A lot to talk about getting away from some of the politics of Washington, some of the, the noise each day, Biden, Trump, you name it. Let's talk about some foreign policy, a lot going on in the Middle East a lot going on in some of the back and forth after the attack in Jordan and the retaliatory strikes uh, against the Iranian back positions. And probably no one better to talk about because you have a background as a diplomat. So when people ask you what's going on in the Middle East and how tenuous and what are the potential concerns, what are your overall thoughts, Ambassador?
7: Well, I think it's very explicit. Uh, the, the, um, the, the role of Iran behind hamas hezbollah and the houthis uh, makes the situation highly explosive and it calls for some very careful uh, opposition by the united states but hopefully not making matters worse
0: well yes but it's my show ambassador ever since saturday morning october 7th the attack by hamas into israel I've pointed out who backs Hamas, who backs Hezbollah, who backs these uh, these terrorist groups, uh, whether they be in Syria, whether they be anywhere in the Middle East. And it all goes to Tehran. And they've been doing this. um, And I think they have a long term plan. Um, And I know we walk this line. We don't want a bigger war with Iran, but also we have to send a very stern message. Uh, because they, they, I don't think they understand anything but. So how do we walk that line? Well, you know? that's,
7: that's a yeah. very good point. Some of our liberal friends don't seem to understand that there are people that really want to take us out, and all they respect is strength. And we have to be forceful and clear in our response. Hopefully we would go in there and have a massive attack on every Houthi we can find.
0: And how do you think – you know, I've not been a big uh, supporter of my show on policy, it's speaking of the southern border, on the Biden administration. But I think post the Hamas attack, the presence we got into the region, the response of the Biden administration to stand uh, in support of Israel, even with all the anti-Semitism we saw on college campuses, even a lot of Democrats and young Democrats don't like Uh, Joe Biden for such strong support of Israel and not trying to, you know, end some of the fighting in Gaza. But at the same time, I don't think people understand the volatility in the Middle East of what could happen in a bigger conflict if things got out of hand. And I think Tehran would love that to happen.
7: Yeah, um, I had this conversation with Nikki Haley a while back, and I told her I don't think anybody should be permitted to speak about the Middle East if you haven't read the last half of the Koran part right. about the infidels and spreading the word by the sword. And you gotta realize these people don't think like we do. They don't like us. But they we can't do anything about it. And so we've got to be strong in opposing them uh, and 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 back Israel while we're doing it. Unfortunately Joe Biden just seems to do whatever the last person in the room scares him into
3: doing.
0: Right. Well some would argue that if you go back to the Obama administration uh, and John Kerry, Secretary of State, there was too much coddling, too much soft messaging to Tehran that they could kind of do what they want in the region. Um, my, my concerns is how do we send a message, and Ambassador Rooney, should we be looking at things like greater financial sanctions? The problem, if we get into too much oil stuff, it could affect prices here and supply. But do we do more to send a stronger message versus just you know strikes against you know, Air Force strikes or naval strikes against targets like in Syria that might have sent a drone into Jordan to kill the service members? Do we, can we do more um, to really send a message to Tehran to knock it off? And you're right. I mean, their mission is to obliterate not only Israel but us, the West.
7: That's true. Yeah, I think we could do a lot more. I think we ought to put on the most strongest set of sanctions we can. We should work with the other Western nations to isolate Iran. And the fact that the Biden administration has no principle – and is sucking up to Iran just like Obama did, as well as also negotiating with Venezuela so we can avoid a price a, a, a spike in the price of oil, uh, is not going to get us a success. We have to be strong and clear and take the consequences that come.
0: Now, you served uh, in, I think, the 19th Congressional District, is that right, in Florida?
7: I did. Yeah,
0: and what do you – I'm just curious because you're someone who I think has gotten a lot of respect out there from a lot of different folks. You've had the diplomatic side, the ambassador side. Can you talk a little bit about the mission of being ambassador to the Holy See? A lot of folks may not even know what, what's entailed in that.
7: Sure. The, uh, basically, it's like any other any secular mission in the sense that we have all ambassadors are commissioned by the president to do three things. Conduct the necessary diplomatic exchange and discussion with the host country. That was the Holy See for me to uh, take care of uh, American visitors that are over there, which was a lot of them for us, and then to uh, uh, spread the understanding of American values, which in my case was a lot of work on the First Amendment and religious freedom and human rights. Right. And uh, I think – but there's also a little different at the Holy See in the sense that we don't have some of the secular activities like consular activities, agriculture, trade – uh, to deal with uh, that, a secular mission has. So our mission is more of a think tank kind of mission than it is some of those um, supporting American businesses or um, or agricultural interests.
0: Well, someone who has served as ambassador on the on the diplomatic side and in, in Congress, do you, can I just ask you a question about our current lead up or build up to twenty twenty four? A lot of people polled um, outside of maybe uh, some of the traditional lanes would tell you that, oh, here we go again. Biden and Trump, is this it again like last time? And who would have thought that when you saw all the Republicans challenging former President Donald Trump? There was question if Joe Biden would even make it to the starting line. Now he's racking up the process to become the nominee again for the Democrats. And yet there are some people out there talking about third-party stuff, whether they get on the ballot, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is an independent, Chris Christie, if it's a no-labels thing, Joe Manchin. But if someone asked you, Ambassador Rooney, what do you think we're going to see You know, in the final lead-up or the issues in the 2024 road to the White House if it is Biden and Trump again? What dynamics are at work, and do you have any sense on where this goes?
7: Well, I was thinking that you know the Democrats desperately wanted to run against Trump because they figured they could beat him, but they might uh, be outfoxed on that given uh, Trump's recent uh, improvement in his polls, largely because I think a lot of people feel, I do, that some of the legal cases against Trump are political and un- unjust. Uh, I think the case about Georgia probably is a pretty strong case. But this yeah. business about overvaluing his assets, oh. there's no there's no crime there. Uh, the, the banks, so they got paid back. Yeah.
0: Well, again, and you and I know, Ambassador, because you have a financial background that uh, – that there was no criminal, they couldn't have a criminal case, so they went after the civil case against his family and his kids and the business license in New York and any private business out there. wasn't publicly traded company. You're talking real estate and other businesses, and you have every right to to say your value, your company. You know, a lot of people sell on their home. I used I say in my show, if you think your home's worth a million bucks, tell the realtor put it off for that if you get it fine if you're borrowing money it's up to the banks to do due diligence and do comps but uh you know i agree with you on a lot of the political stuff and i think a lot of people do what about um, real quickly what are you up to these days uh you know in terms of uh what you're doing and uh you know you're you know on the on the private side
7: well we have our companies that we've had for a long time and and uh, all of our kids are working in the business so our daughter runs our real estate development business in virginia and our son runs the construction company, the old family construction company. He goes back to 1896. It's about a two and a billion, $3 billion a year company. And then, um, then we have a winery in Spain that I look after. So I'm pretty busy with that and with the grandkids and writing a little bit and so, um, trying to help good Republican candidates, as always.
0: Well, the winery in Spain sounds pretty good. Before I let you go, because we, we have great uh, partnerships and sponsorships with Bank of America, Stephen Juneau, their economist, was just on. Given your construction given the investment, given the building side. Do you have a sense, if you look out to the you know 2024, it seems like the economy is a little more resilient to find the odds. New Hampshire has one of the lowest unemployment rates of any state per capita in the country. Maine, a little bit higher. New England, housing is still outrageously priced. Um, a lot of people can't afford uh, to get into the housing market, but it seems like the economy is going to rev along despite a lot of the odds. Do you sense that?
7: Well, I, I think it will. I think it's working through the effects of COVID and the recovery from it. And there's a, you know, there seems to be a pretty strong, uh, pretty strong stock market right now. Unfortunately, so many cities have made it difficult to uh, uh, build houses and entitle land for building houses, that houses are probably more expensive than they should be because of that. And um, even when the material shortages are over, this permitting business is a big problem that really affects a lot of things it affects roads it affects houses it affects commercial properties and in many ways it's become quite sclerotic many of these uh, especially these blue blue state cities
0: well i appreciate it former ambassador rooney uh, for talking on a little international stuff 2024 and beyond as well as the economy thank you sir have a great wednesday thank you you too thanks bye rory o'neill mc news radio national correspondent's going to weigh on some artificial intelligence we'll see what's going on ai not going anywhere $7 million for a 30-second Super Bowl spot. We, uh, Aaron Real, we just talking about that. And also coming up in this hour, good by the way, good morning, New Hampshire, the pulse of an age. Got some nice weather out there, some sun and some clouds mixed in. Mid to upper 30s for a high, so feeling a little balmy. Not quite the Florida weather yet, but, you know, getting on the warmer side. And a little bit later on, more of my interview this morning with Governor Chris Sununu, uh, making some news after his trip to the southern border in uh, Eagle Pass, Texas praising Governor Abbott, talking about the current border bill, talking about the 2024 presidential race. Uh, stay tuned for more of my interview uh, with Governor Snow. Do we have Rory Jadok? Okay, we're waiting on Rory, and he's going to talk a little bit on the uh, AI side of things. Facebook and Instagram are going to start labeling posts that have computer-generated images. Will that cut down on fake news? Because this AI stuff, you got to pay attention. Sometimes you won't even know a story's not real. All right, uh, Rory O'Neill, talk about AI and what some of the
2: social media giants are doing. Take it away, Rory. Yeah, Jack, companies like Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram and Threads, they're trying to work with some of these AI companies you've heard of. Well, there's Microsoft, but also like ChatGPT to try to work with them so that they can more easily identify these images in particular, whether it's a still photo or a video completely conjured up by computer design and not based in reality at all. They want to label these things with a, a kind of a watermark that would say imagined with AI. Uh, this is something they're especially ramping up ahead of the elections here in the U.S. and in several other countries around the world, probably also a bit in response to that Taylor Swift fake video that's also been rolling around the Internet for the past few weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some good to this, but I'll tell you, there's no stopping it. And I don't think think we're going to be dealing with this for years, but thank you, Rory. Thanks, Jack. All right. It is uh, amazing technology, but it can be used also for not such good stuff. Of course, you remember the Hollywood recent strike with actors and writers. A lot of the actors' concern was that the AI could generate an image or a voice and basically make a movie without even paying the actors. So it's pretty scary. Maggie Pritchard, before we go to a break, um, and we're going to get an update from one of our partners out there and of course uh, a number of weeks back we had uh, I hosted my mental health uh, and addiction town hall at the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord back in New Hampshire stage and Maggie joins us from lakes uh, the lakes region mental health services side of things one of the great leaders out there one of the passionate advocates also trying to get more young people into the profession of uh, supporting things like anxiety depression and mental health Maggie good morning
8: Good morning, Jack. I wanted to ask you how you thought that went for your your big forum on mental health. Did you learn anything new? Did you? I'm sure you met new people.
0: Well, I, I was amazed at some of the people that came. I was horrified to hear from some of the parents on the addiction side who've lost kids to to, to fentanyl and the DEA, talking about how readily available that is. But on the mental health side, yes. Um, I I think what I like, yeah, it took me days to sort of digest because we had so many experts talking about peer group work that's being done, um, trying to remove stigmas, um, how to avoid someone having to go to a hospital emergency room who's experiencing a mental health episode. Um, How do we get services covered earlier, faster? Employers now are asking um, insurance companies and other folks, hey, their employees are asking for more mental health coverage. So... The groups there were outstanding. Some of the people in the field are outstanding. So it's just the beginning, but I'm glad we focused for three hours on it because it takes—it's going to take three thousand hours to really move this needle forward.
8: It really is, and that advocacy around getting insurance companies to pay for um, mental health services to the to the full breadth of what mental health services are. Right? We look. I was talking to Senator Shaheen's office last week about. Um, Medicare Advantage and the Medicare loopholes for mental health services that are so restrictive and don't pay for the full array of services that people need. You know, people need people in the community with them. They need people in their homes. They need people to be able to help them through life, essentially. And these people can't just do it all from the office. And the rules that private insurance and Medicare put upon people for claims is is ridiculous do they want people to get well or don't they that's the question they should be asking themselves because in the long run it's going to save them money right if somebody doesn't have to go into a hospital they've saved a boatload right there
0: yeah innovation i think the other thing is um some of the services that can be brought into the home um, whether it's leveraging technology or getting people to go into the home because you and i know if it's a kid that needs some help, if it's you, if it's a spouse, if it's a senior person, getting them out of the house to an appointment, um, uh, sometimes it's easier to just not go, and mm-hmm. whatever the problem is isn't getting better. So I think um, you know, getting to these things earlier, um, getting services, because the other thing is cost. We all know that you know, the reason why urgent care has grown, even if it's created a gap with your primary care person, if you have health insurance for physical stuff, it's easy and affordable to go to the urgent care if you have a sore throat or if you have, a, you know, bronchitis or a head cold or you, you cut yourself, you know, slicing a bagel at home. Uh, go to the urgent care. The problem is urgent care and some of these other places don't touch or address mental health. They'll send you somewhere, and a lot of times people just, they don't end up getting the help they need.
8: Right, because it's not a quick fix. It's not a drive-thru. You can't get mental health at a drive-thru. You have to work at it you have to be seen a few times you have to go to a few sessions you have to have a relationship with a provider and um, be fully engaged to get the benefit and the cure if you will or the recovery path that you're looking for
0: yeah and the other thing too is um, and again Maggie Pritchard uh, is one of the one thing I heard from groups like grant recovery centers and some of your community health care partners Maggie is and and the state officials and we had some of the people running for governor, for example, and Senator Shaheen called in, is we got to get more younger professionals to relocate or come here to provide mental health services because there's a shortage, correct?
8: There is, and, and there's lots of things that we can do as a state to make that easier for people who are licensed in Arizona or Colorado to come to New Hampshire and, not, and have their license recognized or have a process at least that welcomes them here and says, yes, we want you here, we want you to practice here, we're gonna give you a preliminary license if we have to, but we're gonna make that pathway for you easier.
0: Yeah. What else, you know, we had that, that town hall, but what else do you think, if you had to say a couple things that you really wanna happen sooner than later could really help advance getting the care, getting people seen earlier, avoiding crises?
8: Well, obviously, I want there not to be any stigma associated with it, not to the point where I want it to be fashionable to say that I'm ill, right? I don't want to go from one extreme to another. I want it to be that people say, I value my mental health as much as I value my stomach ache, right? I value that I feel sad, and I worry about that as much as I worry about my stomach ache because... If I have an ongoing stomachache, I might go get a CAT scan. I might see there's something wrong with my gallbladder, whatever. I'm going to take care of it. When I'm sad and I think, oh, I don't need to take care of it because that's not as important, and then I end up hurting myself and those I love by, God forbid, taking my own life, people have to recognize it is as serious as important to take care of as any other illness.
0: Well, you know, I'm more open-eyed to health care or your own health and causes and solutions than I ever have been. One of my knocks, Maggie, is not not in your area, but I've often said that we're too much of a pill-popping, um, surgery, uh, you know, uh, fix the end problem but don't get to the chronic cause. Um, and mental health, anxiety, depression, stress, even before something more catastrophic like you just described, Maggie, If you're if you're having mental health issues – number one you may not even know it you may not be mm-hmm. aware of how acute it is but the effect it has for example on someone's and i'm not trying to sound like i'm too much into a, a playing a doctor on my own show or physical therapist but many people as they age hold a lot of stress in their neck and their shoulders mm-hmm. and there's all kind of tendons and nerves from your cervical disc down your shoulder into your arm and sometimes people can have like a Uh, uh, an inflamed tendon or nerve and get chronic pain in their arm, and they don't even know that it could be stress, anxiety, and depression that are triggering the physical body to react, or digestive issues, um, you know, headaches. Stress and mental health can do a number on your physical body and well-being. And a lot of times people, you go take some Advil, or I don't want to promote Advil, but an anti-inflammatory, Tylenol or something, um, and you think you're 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 better. And then two weeks later, it flares up again. So so much of our health care is related to above our neckline, you know, our heads, our brains, our mental well-being, our hearts, our souls. And we're not we're not touching the surface of trying to get some people to work through or talk with someone. You know, why do I harbor so much anxiety with my parents? Why do I feel like I can't get a job? Why do I not want to get out of bed in the morning? Why do I not want to work out if I can walk? What's keeping me back? What's holding me down? A lot of times people just self-medicate or just ignore it, and it really can wreak havoc on your body.
8: Well, and it really is related to the society that we live in that says, you should be able to fix things instantaneously. There should be an easy cure for this headache. There should be an easy cure for whatever. And when you tell people you think it's stress-related, Oh, my God, you, you're like delivering bad news to them. Yeah. And and really, they should be rejoicing. You know, you don't have a tumor or you don't have this right. or this bad thing. Right. But they're sad because they know that that's going to take work and time. Right. And they want, they want the drive up.
0: And the other thing is admitting and being okay that you have a problem and removing that stigma. There's nothing wrong with you at any age if you're depressed. And more people are depressed. You just don't know it. Um, and the other thing is getting to talk to a professional, a therapist. Sometimes it, it takes you got to find the right person. But sometimes a couple of talking to someone, um, I, I've seen this in the veteran community. I, I've, I've worked with veterans who, military members who have come back from a couple, multiple de, uh, deployments. And they're not mm-hmm. only banged up a little bit physically, but they don't even realize what their, what compartments are inside that they've locked up and they don't understand how it affects them emotionally. So all this stuff, it's just the beginning, but I thank you. If people want to learn more about your services in the Lakes region, best way, Maggie, is how?
8: Oh, go to our website, lrmhc.org, and you'll find lots of information and lots about us.
0: Good. I love working with you. Thank you, Maggie. Have a great day.
8: All right. You too, Jack. Bye.